So the big question is, how do women over 40 like us keep weight off, have great energy, balance our hormones and our moods, feel sexy and confident, and master midlife? If you're like most of us, you're not getting the answers you need and remain confused and pretty hopeless to ever feel like yourself again. As an OBGYN, I had to discover for myself the truth about what creates a rock-solid metabolism, lasting weight loss, and supercharged energy after 40 in order to lose 100 pounds and fix my fatigue. Now, I'm on a mission. This podcast is designed to share the natural tools you need for impactful results and to give you clarity on the answers to your midlife metabolism challenges. Join me for tangible natural strategies to crush the hormone imbalances you're facing and help you get unstuck from the sidelines of life. My name is Dr. Kieran Dunstan. Welcome to the Hormone Prescription Podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Hormone Prescription with Dr. Kieran. Thank you so much for joining me today. We are going to talk about something today that you might think doesn't have anything to do with hormones, but it does. And we're going to draw the line between the two for you and help you understand why vibration has so much to do with your hormones and vice versa. And my guest today has a summit coming up on vibrational medicine that you're for sure going to want to check out. So we'll be talking all about that. There's so much available to you to help you heal not only your hormones, but your overall physical health, mental, emotional well-being using vibrational medicine, because you are at your core vibration. You are a vibration of sound and light, and we're going to talk about that too. So I'll tell you a little bit about her, and then we will get started. Dr. Keisha Ewers is a board-certified in functional medicine and Ayurvedic medicine. She's a doctor of sexology, trauma-informed psychotherapist, family practice, ANRP, with a specialty in integrative medicine. She's also a conscious dying doula and the founder and medical director of the Academy for Integrative Medicine Health Coach Certification Program. Keisha has been in the medical field for over 30 years, and after conducting the HURT study in 2013, HURT stands for Healing Unresolved Trauma. If you missed my podcast episode with her about that, you definitely want to go back can hear it. And she developed the HURT model for understanding how past childhood trauma impacts adult health. This led to the creation of the Healing Trauma Through the Chakra System online program and the You Unbroken online program for patients to heal their own trauma and the Mystic Medicine Deep Immersion Healing Retreat she leads at her home in San Juan Island, Washington. Dr. Ewers is a popular speaker, including at Harvard and from the TEDx stage and the best-selling author of Solving the Autoimmune Puzzle and the Quick and Easy Autoimmune immune paleo cookbook. You can find her programs at www.drkeisha.com. We'll have all links in the show notes. Welcome, Dr. Keisha. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. (laughs) She's also hosting the upcoming summit on vibrational medicine, which we'll have links to in the show notes, Healing with Vibration Summit. And she's got special interest and expertise in that as well. In fact, I was thinking of all the things I know you've done since that bio was written. (laughs) And so she's got so much to offer us. So we're going to dive into it. So Keisha, talk to us about vibrational medicine. I know some people know what that is and others are going, what are you talking about? Yeah, I know. It's a it's sort of an obscure, ambiguous term for sure. And defining is really important. You know, you kind of said it in the beginning as you're introducing this, where you said we're everything is vibration. We are made up of energy. Sound travels, you know, in waveforms, light travels in waveforms, the way that 
our heartbeat is in a waveform, our EEG from our brainwaves, waveforms, the ocean comes in and waves and goes out and tides, right? There are seasons are in cycles and there's no straight line in nature. Everything is vibrating. And, you know, if you look behind me at that amethyst crystal, that's a denser molecular vibration, right? It has a dense matter to it. The air that we're breathing that you can't see has a higher vibrational consistency to the molecular structure. They're vibrating at a higher speed and then we can't see. And so everything's vibrations where we as our human organism in the context of the earthly environment that we're in, it's all vibrations. And so how those vibrations impact each other is going to really have a lot to do with our health, our mood, our longevity, like all of it is affected with how we're vibrating. If we're vibrating in that dense way, like the amethyst, right? Then you can have solid mass, endometriosis, you can have tumors, you can have gross, like those are gross vibrations. If you want to feel in a elevated mood, right? And feel light in, in your body and like vitality that's coursing through you as you're in the flow of life force field, you're going to be vibrating at a higher level. So you can feel it when, you know, like when you have fear, it's even written when people are describing it as a knot of fear in your belly or, you know, your jaw clenches. Like it, these are vibrations that are denser and lower. Depression is a low, dense vibratory mood. And so when you think about it that way, you know, fear, when we have fear, then that's going to set off a perceptual the perception of fear will start to set off a whole cascade of hormone messenger chemicals in your body that alert the body how to vibrate, right? So those adrenals need to get to work, cortisol goes through. This is a vibratory quality. So vibrational medicine is really becoming aware of how you're vibrating. Like every thought, every feeling has its own vibration. When you become self-aware like that, you know that you can change the channel on it. Now we also have vibrations that are happening outside of us. Everyone probably that's here has walked into a room and you can feel the energy like you could cut it with a knife. Maybe two people are fighting, right? Or there's something going on and you walk in and you, you know it, you, something's going on. There's a vibrational quality to what's happening. When we rolled out 5G networks, right? And when we brought radar onto the planet, our, our vibrations change as humans learn to communicate with each other differently. And it changes the quality of the field that we're living in. And so this summit actually deals with things from like an EMF standpoint to the trauma that we experience in life and how that affects us. Yes, thank you for that explanation. And yeah, I think as you were talking, I was thinking, I think everybody's familiar with, well, radio waves, that that's a waveform. Right. But I don't think they think of us human. They say, well, what are you talking about, Keisha? I look in the mirror, I'm solid. The table I'm sitting in front of is solid. And I like to say that if you had a high enough powered microscope and you looked at your body, physical body or the table with that microscope, you would actually have more space than you would matter, just like when you look at the stars and that all the particles are vibrating. 
Exactly. How did you become interested in this? As I've gone through the course of my career, um, it always, for me, starts with a stumble and a fall into a pothole on the journey of life. <laughs> well, those dang potholes. I know. <laughs> So I was clipping along as a 19-year-old nurse in the ICU, and I did that for about 10 years, skydiving, having four kids, running marathons, you know, a lot of very high adrenaline junkie sort of life. And then right when I turned 30, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, and it was this really interesting sort of overnight change. That's how my patients describe it too, like all of a sudden I'm sick, which actually isn't accurate. The body has been trying to get your attention for a long, long time, but how we are with ourselves, you know, it's, it's like we definitely have to kind of fall into the pothole before we, we wake up. <laughs> so I woke up one morning with 10 extra pounds all over my joints. These right here. And it just exhausted. It was like someone had taken the batteries out of the Energizer bunny. And I went in to get seen and, and the doctor that was seeing me asked, you know, do you have a family history of autoimmune disease? And I remember thinking about that and saying, yeah, I think, I think my grandfather had it and had rheumatoid arthritis and was in a wheelchair at the end of his life with it. He died before I ever knew him in his fifties, which is where I am right now is in my fifties. And she said, well, that's what you have. I'm afraid you've, you know, drawn the short end of the genetic lottery here. And here are two prescriptions, one's for methotrexate and one's for a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug. Come back when you're worse, not if, and we'll change your meds, right? That was the extent. And I just remember saying, you know, this is over 25 years ago, and that's kind of what's being said still today, and same drugs. And I just remember saying, well, hang on, hang on. I'm very, very disciplined. I make my own food. I'm very healthy. You know, is there anything else? And she just said, no, it's genetic, you know, just kind of like close the book, put it on the shelf. That's the end of the discussion. So on my way home, I remember thinking there has to be something else. I know the side effect profile of these medications. I don't want to take them. And so I went into PubMed and started really investigating and I found a very compelling study on yoga and autoimmune disease and went to my first yoga class the next day. And the yoga teacher said, enough about this term Ayurveda that intrigued me that I went home and looked that up on the computer. And Ayurvedic medicine is the sister science of yoga. It's 10,000 year old framework of medicine. And what I read just was so interesting and revolutionary to me. You know, it was like, we're not all the same. <laughs> we have different ways we're supposed to feed and water and take care of ourselves. There's no one dietary protocol that's right for everybody. And that, by the way, autoimmune disease is undigested anger. And that was another one where I went, whoa, you know, I am not an angry person, though. And that was a really important kind of thing to say to myself, because then the follow-up was, well, maybe that's a problem. Maybe the fact that you can't recognize any type of anger, maybe your body's taken all of it. And so I started practicing yoga and, and uh, was learning how to meditate. And one day in my meditation practice, I was thinking about this word autoimmune. And I thought, gosh, you know, auto means I'm doing this. I am attacking myself. And so I thought, when is the first time I wanted to die? Because I don't have any clear cognition about wanting to die right now. You know, I don't want to die. So I started going backwards asking that question. 
and I found this little 10 year old girl version of myself who was being sexually abused by the vice principal of the elementary school that I was attending. And I remember looking at her in my meditation and going, oh, you did. You want it off the planet. And my dad was out to sea in the Navy. I was attending a school where the vice principal was telling me the reason this was happening was because I was a bad kid and white trash. And, you know, I, I just couldn't understand any of it. I didn't, I tried to tell my mom, I don't want to go to school. I have a stomach ache, you know, and, but I didn't know the word sex. You know, I didn't know the word molest or abuse. Like I didn't know any of the language that was attached to this. And really I thought it must be because there was something inherently wrong with me. And so when I started looking at that version of myself from this 30 year old perspective, I went, oh, this has to be connected. Like it has to be. And so I started into work doing trauma therapy immediately and within six months, my rheumatoid arthritis was gone and it's never been back. And I never did take those medications. And so my emphasis, you know, I went back to graduate school and, you know, my emphasis now has been on what is the emotional piece or the mental belief system that hasn't been digested that's causing this physical manifestation of a, maybe a gene that has been turned on or a microbiome that's unhealthy, you know, and not just focusing on the adrenals and hormones or the GI tract or mold or Lyme or Epstein-Barr, but also the part, right, that is that emotional mental component that goes with these when they really cause problems. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. And, um, you know, I know I share part of your story and a lot of women listening do. And a lot of women, you know, it's not okay for us to be angry, we're told. And I think that's the reaction, particularly when I'm working with women on their hormones and their liver. And in Chinese medicine, the liver is the organ of anger. And we talk about anger. They're like, I'm not angry. Right. <laughs> but you got a lot of reason to be. Right. Yeah. yeah. At some point that has to get digested, brought up, right? And then digested. And we're taught that anger is bad. It's a negative emotion. It has a bad vibrational quality in the whole law of attraction world too. Right. And that's another one that I go, oh, no, like you have to let your emotions digest properly and not judge them. And then they can move through. As soon as you attach around them with judgment and I shouldn't, or this is bad, or then it winds up getting stuck in your system. And so the whole idea of emotions being their vibrational energies. They are. Right. And so they have to be digested. So what modalities might you have used or you've used with clients or might be talked about in the Vibrational Health Summit? Are we talking about that might help someone who is hearing themselves in this story and saying, yeah, me too, or something similar but different. And I wanna work on digesting these emotions, these vibrations in my body that I know are affecting my health. What kinds of things might we recommend? I did a study for my doctoral work in 2013 called the Healing Unresolved Trauma Study. And I go into this and I do five different master classes during the course of the week of the summit. And I start with, first, there's this framework. There's not going to be one modality that works for every single person. And in fact, if you just go to the modality, it doesn't work so well. 
So in the HURT model, healing unresolved trauma model that emerged from my work, I show, you know, first you have this event and, and we have capital T trauma and we have lowercase t trauma and everybody's had trauma. So not everybody's had capital T trauma, the kind that we're talking about when we're talking about sexual abuse, but you can have trauma that is like tripping in front of the whole class in the cafeteria and, and everyone laughs at you or missing the spelling word and the spelling bee or not being able to get to the top of the rope in the presidential challenge in front of everyone. Like all of these. Oh, you saw that when I was a kid. Yeah, too, right? <laughs> you saw me not be able to get to the top of the rope. I used to sit in <laughs> that line and just go, oh, I hate this time of year. <laughs> and so, you know, it's this really interesting experience to be a child and to have all these little little tiny experiences throughout the, the jungle of childhood where you didn't have maybe a well-attuned securely attached caregiver who was attuned to you and helped you navigate so our brains are not fully developed till we're 26 years old we don't have our prefrontal cortex online yet so when we're children, we're making up meanings, like in that line, you know, at the presidential challenge, you're making up meaning right there that makes sense to the child part of you. And then you're going to have an adaptive behavior that will come with that. Okay. So one person in that line, you know, I don't know if they still do the presidential challenge, if everyone even knows what we're talking about, Karen, but <laughs> I don't know. I think you have to be in your 50s maybe to know this. Yeah, our kids are grown, so we don't know. <laughs> so, you know, one person could stand there and go, okay, next year I'm working out and I'm getting to the top of that rope. You know, like there's no way that I'm not going to succeed at this next time. Another one might say, oh, next time there's a presidential challenge, I'm calling in sick. I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to be there. Another one might become the class clown and make it a funny thing that makes everyone laugh, right? Another one, so it's going to be like everyone's so different and how you create the belief and the behavior pattern that goes with whatever your capital T or lowercase t traumas are. Then that's how we unlock it. It really does like, so sometimes energy workers will do like chakra work with somebody and they'll feel really good. But then they still have the button that gets pushed, right? <laughs> then they're back to the races again, just the next time. And so with the HURT model, what I show is, you know, how that button gets created that gets pushed all the way through your adult life, where first you have the event, then you have a feeling, okay? So if we use my sexual abuse, it's an easy one to track. I call this tracking your HURT. The intercom goes off in the corner of the classroom and the secretary may just be making announcements, but Keisha is in the room with her heart just going like panicked rabbit, right? Sweaty and heartbeat going and frozen and jaw clenched in a complete freeze state of sympathetic nervous system arousal, which most children do freeze, not fight, not flight, freeze. Because if I remember that, you said that's how he used to call for you to come to his yeah. office. Yeah, that the secretary would call me to the office. Yeah. The intercom, right? So I do right. this Pavlovian thing every time the intercom would go off. So that panic that I felt got frozen into my nervous system with that sympathetic nervous system arousal. And then I make up a meaning. So you make up a meaning to whatever it is that is happening, right? And for me, the meaning was... Uh, people that say they're in charge and want to protect children probably can't be trusted. 
you know, like it's a lie. <laughs> and so I have to, my belief was I am going to have to be perfect to survive this, you know, like I need to stay out of the limelight. I need to make sure that I'm not noticed, you know, so that I don't get called in. And so the belief creates a behavior, which for me was perfectionism. I actually have never met anyone with autoimmune disease that does not have perfectionism in there. And so <laughs> that's a very non-tenable way to live your life, to think you always have to be perfect. I was on that road until I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease because it was governing everything. I drove myself so hard. So, and it came from that sitting in that little desk, right? And so for me, it was, and this is how I help my clients is learning how to track the hurt to the point where what is the belief you created? What's the meaning you created? And then taking that little one. And I always start with creating a calm, safe place inside the nervous system. People often want like a device or a supplement or a medication or a food or Netflix or porn or gambling or shopping, like something outside here to self-soothe. Mm -hmm. And we have to learn how to do that internally. So I start there because if you feel like your safety, your survival is constantly on the line subconsciously, nothing else you do is ever going to work. Like you can fix your microbiome till the cows come home and keep going back to those adrenals and they'll keep turning over, right? Your hormones will never get balanced because you keep having this like survival issue. So if there's a safety problem, that's where I start. And I start establishing safety inside the nervous system with that child part. So we start doing some attachment trauma fixing, depending on what's going on. So repair work and attaching you so that you become, <laughs> and women usually don't like hearing this, you become the parent to your child self that you always wanted. So a lot of times women will get really mad because they're, they're the caregivers in their lives. And they're like, they're looking for somebody outside of them to take as good a care of them as they're taking care of everyone else. And it kind of makes them mad to hear that they have to do it for themselves too, right? Oh, yes, I totally get it. <laughs> it's true for me. And in yeah. the past, I had to recognize that like, nobody's coming. And what, what happens is if you think someone's going to come, if you just care, give enough, then someone will pay attention to you. That's how we get connected to narcissists. That's how we get in codependent relationships. Like that does not work. You have to become the parent to you that you always needed. And so I teach you how to do that, like how to repair that attachment, how to attach to yourself, how to become grounded, safe, and secure inside your own system. So then you're resonating a vibration that magnetizes others like that to you, right? Then mm -hmm. you're at a higher level of relating. It's not a need-based. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So your vibe shifts, your vibration, and then the law of attraction can bring you what you want, not right. what you don't want. For a lot of us who say it doesn't work, it's because we have undigested anger that's radiating out of us and exactly. these unmet childhood needs and all of those things. There's a child part in there that's resentful and frustrated and disempowered and angry. And your adult self maybe have the spiritual the bypass part, right? That can radiate out love and compassion and want to attract what the adult part wants. 
but you have to actually heal that child part because she's in the background screaming. Can you talk about that spiritual bypass for a second? Because I think, I don't know that everybody knows what you're talking about. Yeah, it's a really interesting dynamic for people that have been doing a lot of work and are waking up and having exploring consciousness and maybe are, you know, into yoga, meditation, prayer, and they, they forgive and they go into the law of attraction from their adult brain, but they've bypassed. It's like building a school on trash heap, right? All of that garbage dump gas will come up into the school eventually and become toxic. You have to, you can't put a crown on top of an abscess tooth, right? Right. You have to clean up what's underneath there. You can't just bypass it. You can't put a veneer over the top of it and go, okay, and just come from your adult learning and knowledge of how you want to be, fake it till you make it. Because if there's a wounded child in there, she's going to make sure that you know <laughs> she still yes. hasn't been heard. <laughs> you know, what you're talking about so much reminds me of a lot of the 12-step work, which is kind of the first level of addiction recovery, whether it's Overeaters Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, whatever your thing is, Anonymous. And basically it is fake it till you make it behavior change. But then the the grandmother of the programs is ACA, adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, where they really talk about what you're talking about, the inner loving parent and becoming your own inner, inner loving parent. So I love that you're addressing this. What are some of your favorite experts in your summit and favorite things that you learned from doing all those interviews? One of the things I love about summits is connecting to people and and the interviews, right? It's just so amazing. Mm -hmm. So I loved Roland McCready's interview. He's the researcher for heart math and, you know, really talking about this entrainment that we have with each other and ourselves, you know, vibrationally, that we're all in like what Rupert Sheldrake calls the morphogenetic field and we're influencing it. And he goes through a lot of the science about how we're influencing it and how important it is for us to be self-aware and managing our own vibrations and not worrying so much about what's going on out there with everyone else. Yes. So heart math and, you know, I would love to have someone come on the podcast and talk about that because we haven't talked about it and it's probably more than we can get into right now. So you guys are going to have to go look at the summit (laughs) and you can see that. And we will have the links in the show notes. And I also wanted to ask you, because since the last time you were on the podcast, didn't you, haven't you done completed or in the process of doing your ministerial training? Yeah. I've been doing a master's in divinity. Yeah. Yeah. How has that changed or informed the work that you do? I went into it because I was starting to notice an uptick in what a couple of Princeton researchers have called deaths of despair in our culture. And deaths of despair are overdoses, suicides from a variety of different ways and means and non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And, you know, we do have a lot of that. And this was pre-pandemic when I started and this was on, right? And what I started noticing is as this uptick is going up, we also have an uptick in narcissistic personality disorder diagnoses. 
And, oh, by the way, we also have an uptick in people leaving religious institutions. And I thought, this is interesting. Like these, all, these curves match each other. Mm-hmm. Deaths of despair, leaving religious institutions. And is this a coincidence? You know, and I don't argue that people shouldn't be leaving their religious institutions. I mean, I had no opinion about it, but what I thought was, is there anything replacing the role that they played? Mm-hmm. Right. And at that time, again, pre-pandemic, I was a little worried about the lack of community maybe people were experiencing when they didn't have a synagogue or a mosque or a church or a temple, you know? Mm-hmm. And I thought, where is that getting replaced? Is that why there's so much of this increase in narcissism and increase? And so I was looking at the research of the narcissistic epidemic and what was being shown to be at the root of that. A lot of it is like, the selfie generation, social media, wanting to be famous on YouTube, like all of that, right? Mm -hmm. And keeping up with the Joneses, like it's so easy to just like live any lifestyle that you want because it was so easy to get alone. And all of that was crashing, you know? And so a lot of these deaths can be correlative to some of these things. So I went in wanting to really explore that, like what's Mm -hmm. the role of divinity in this? How do we help people reattach? Again, it's attachment trauma in my mind Mm. to source, to their own divine source, you know? And instead of needing it from out here, can they find it in here? Can they reconnect to that? That has been my interest in what I was up to. And so I think it's informed my work just to kind of say, oh, there's another layer to attachment trauma. We're traumatized because the original wound is an existential one. Like we Mm. feel abandoned by God. And is that really true? No, it's not. But do we know how to find that, right? So reattaching to source. Yeah. So I have to ask you on this topic, your thoughts on the use of psychedelic and other medicines that may not be mainstream for people to heal these really core, like you said, existential attachment wounds. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we tend to like start and stop the conversation with parents (laughs) and parent-child bonding. And, you know, like, it's much bigger than that, right? As I just mentioned. Right. And now post-pandemic, there's also commu- the bond of the community that's broken in a mm-hmm. big way, right? And so I am an MDMA certified assisted psychotherapist. I've trained for 10 years in the use of Wachuma with a teacher in Peru, initiated Wachumera or medicine woman. And then with another organization that's underground for three years. So I run uh, group uh, medicine circles with plant Mm -hmm. medicine. And the reason that I started doing it was because Johns Hopkins has done, like they have a whole branch of research into the use of psychedelics, especially with people with cancer. And it's taking away what one of the reasons I've gone back to school to get a master's in divinity was to alleviate death anxiety. And so I looked at so many studies from different religions, and it turns out that plant, the use of plant medicine is head and shoulders above anything in efficacy for reducing death anxiety and to reattaching us to source, like we get our left brain out of the way that says that 
everything has to be proven. We have to see it, feel it, touch it, smell it, taste it, or it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And allowing the right brain to come forward with the opposite of that, right? We're so left brain dominant in our culture and we're so productivity oriented and achievement oriented that we've lost sight, you know, that the five sensors are not the end all be all. And so it really helps kind of like allow that left brain to relax a little bit. It's okay, sweetheart, just for a couple hours. <laughs> you, your services, you, you can right? go sit in the corner and chill out. That's right. You can take I got a nap. this. Now do you take a little nap. You'll be required later when it's time to balance the checkbook. So, you know, uh, you're not going to be killed. You're not going to go anywhere for good, but just, just go to sleep for a little while, mm-hmm. you know, and it, and it allows you to get in touch with a lot of what's dead after you go through childhood with your imagination like the right brain, the ability to be able to get into energy flow, to feel vibratory changes to, you know, so plant medicine assists in that. Now I have a little bit of a beef, a, a strongly held opinion in the soapbox around sometimes people will hear that and they'll go look for, you know, like their nearest person that will give them ayahuasca. But the problem with that is, is that you can have as many breakthroughs as you want on plant medicine where you see a visual, you, you get, you go, oh yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> with psilocybin or something. Yeah. But if you're not integrating, which takes a skilled therapist to work with you to do this, you know, to give you how to integrate that, then all it is is a cool experience that then means nothing and it doesn't heal you. It doesn't help change anything. So you have to go through like that hurt model and be able to apply it, you know, to helping with attachment trauma, whether it's you feel like you've been betrayed by life or God or the culture or the government or your parents or your spouse, you know, or yourself and, you know, really heal that and integrate what comes through that means that you're not just running from one journey experience to the next and talking to people about, oh yeah, man, when I went into the jungle in Peru, you know, like people now are starting to collect these things like Boy Scout merit badges, you know, and, and I just kind of shake my head and go, oh, you know, because Americans, you know, a little bit's good, a lot must be better. It's less is better. And because you need space in between to really then integrate and process Mm -hmm. and digest and get the wisdom and let go of the stuff that's not serving you anymore. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I would, I agree with that. The integration is everything and it's often missing. Yeah. With the way we've McDonaldized a lot of these medicines. I mean, I'm seeing on Facebook now that, <laughs> uh, that you can actually order a ketamine box and just do home therapy, right? Where, so you're taking the substance by yourself. <laughs> Interesting. And uh, I was just kind of like, oh man, of course, you know, of course that's going to happen. You know, it's going mm-hmm. consumerized and yeah, it just makes me nuts because then people are left with an experience they don't know how to then process it properly. So how does somebody find someone who's expert at being an integration coach? Because that's not a skill set that most standard therapists, psychotherapists or family therapists have. How do they find someone? 
I was certified through MAPS, um, mm-hmm. multidisciplinary approach to psychedelic research and studies. And they emphasized most of the training was integration. So it's not like, um, so if you get certified with MAPS, that's a good one because it's all about the integration. Mm-hmm. So I would say that's probably a good place. You know, these things aren't legalized yet. Right. And <laughs> Some so, people can't advertise. So people can't advertise. I mean, I've come out and I've been talking on summits and saying, yeah, like I run groups, right? And Mm -hmm. so people can contact me, but it's not something where the California CIIS is, you know, has a psychedelics research program. Like I said, Johns Hopkins has tons of money now that they have allocated toward this research. So we're still in that Mm -hmm. research stage of bringing out enough science to sink a ship many times over for the FDA to finally go, oh, (laughs) you know, so MDMA is in its third round of FDA trials. And I mean, healing war veterans of PTSD that were treatment resistant, 65% efficacy of it all the way gone. And then another huge percentage of like somewhat, right, gone. So that's, that's, nothing else has that. Monumental. Yeah. (laughs) So eventually, you know, psilocybin has been legalized in the state of Oregon, but right now they're in the the position of creating oversight, you know, like pulling all of like, what's the infrastructure going to look like? So that'll be a while before there are, and MAPS is certifying therapists like myself, Mm -hmm. so that when it finally does get legalized, they're, there's a cadre of therapists on the ground mm-hmm. ready to go. So great. Well, thank you so much for sharing that and for your transparency. I think that it's it speaks a lot to people need to hear this, that practitioners who are credentialed use these things, help with these things, and that they are available. Because if we wait till the research catches up, we'll be waiting another, who knows how long. But like 15 years. 15 that's, years. That's average, yeah. So let's dive back to the summit and then we're going to wrap up the podcast. But I just will have the link in the show notes where you can find out more. You can see all the experts, what they're talking about. Any last words about the summit that you want to share? Just that this is a, an innovative and unique way of opening up a perspective that a lot of people haven't maybe spent too much time in. And so I would just really encourage you to listen to, it goes from like the vibration is how to organize your home environment. I did a talk on Bastu, which is the sister science of yoga and Ayurvedic medicine, which is where feng shui came from. And you know, like what are some very easy things you can do inside of your office and home to have you the energy move in a way that helps you be healthy and abundant and happy, right? So it's the vibration of yourself, your cells, all the way to the macrocosm. And so we hit, like I said, EMF as well as other toxins and the vibratory quality of viruses and things like that, that we, that are top of mind today. 
as well as thoughts and what you eat and the the impact of trauma. Awesome. Thank you so much. And as you're talking, I'm realizing I promised at the beginning we were going to talk about vibration and hormones, which we didn't get to. But everybody listening, Dr. Keisha is doing a masterclass with participants in one of my programs when we get done. So we will talk about that. And then I promise you on the next Q&A episode, I will come in and talk with you about vibration and hormones and bring you the information that she shares there. So make sure that you come back for that. Thank you so much for joining me today, Keisha. I'm so grateful to have you. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much. And thanks for joining me for another episode of The Hormone Prescription with Dr. Kieran. I will see you next week. And until then, peace, love, and hormones, y'all. Thank you so much for listening. I know that incredible vitality occurs for women over 40 when we learn to speak hormone and balance these vital regulators to create the health and the life that we deserve. If you're enjoying this podcast, I'd love it if you'd give me a review and subscribe. It really does help this podcast out so much. You can visit thehormoneprescription.com where we have some free gifts for you. And you can sign up to have a hormone evaluation with me on the podcast to gain clarity into your personal situation. Until next time, remember, take small steps each day to balance your hormones and watch the wonderful changes in your health that begin to unfold for you. Talk to you soon.